Hey, you busy? Mm-mm. Okay, let me run something past you real quick. I'm going to say something and I stand beside me because I have seen it to be true. The Bible says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge, right? We can all agree on that. Okay, great. So I have truly within this, within this season to be exact, have seen the fruit of being aware. Awareness unlocks shackles in your soul for things that were holding you down and holding you up that you weren't aware of a couple of seasons ago. Awareness allows you to submit to God so that he can recalculate the path that you thought you are on for your life. And then you realize Eureka, he actually has a plan for my life. And I don't actually think that these are the coordinates. So let me go back to the creator to see if I'm even on the path he created for me. Awareness allows you to pick up distinct subtleties in relationship changes in your body mechanics. You're able to go, "Mm, I'm not feeling my best. Something is off. And you're able to take precautionary measures, whether it's vitamins, whether it's going for your checkups or whatever it is, like awareness allows you to see, you know what, I need to go ahead and call such and such. I haven't spoken to such and such in a long time. Awareness allows you to pick up on the subtleties of life that if not careful, if you overrode it with being an autopilot, that whatever it is that you care about will suffer in some kind of way awareness. I think that it is the armor in everyone's arsenal that is not utilized enough, but is very costly when we don't. Imagine driving a car and you have not been aware of your tires. You have not been aware of new sounds. You have not been aware of new smells. You have not been aware of, wait a minute, when's the last time I've gotten an oil change? You have not been aware of the gas uh, fuel chamber notifications. Like you are just not aware. You cannot get in a car and just drive and not be aware of all of that. It will cost you. It will be to your detriment to not be aware of that. You cannot just be in a relationship. Okay. Y'all establish what you, you guys are. You establish that your girlfriend, boyfriend, that you're married, that whatever, and just go ahead and okay. And you just live day to day without any awareness of each other. Of, of coming back and joining and doing the things that are fun to coming back to revisiting each other's dreams to coming back. It's like you need to carry awareness with you in this life or it is going to cost you. And the scary part about that is that life promotes autopilot. This is the way you go to work, go to work, go to work. This is your schedule. This is what you eat. This is your lunch break. This is when you talk to such and such. This is when you peruse the internet. This is when you go ahead and pay that bill. This is when auto pay. Like, so it's all these things that are on autopilot and the world promotes that. And so what's happening is awareness is becoming obsolete. You cannot do anything on autopilot. There is, I don't care. I know they're trying to make houses, smart houses and all these other things, but there is not enough smart, anything that will allow me to be comfortable in something being autopilot. Like I imagine being in the Jetson years where you can go ahead and just put all the ingredients and certain things, press a few buttons and it cooks your meal and you can go ahead and go out and go shopping. I don't think that I would ever be comfortable with that. 
Because there's a certain level of awareness that I'm just like, you can cook a recipe to the T and still be able to taste it and say, mm, something is missing. But you can't correct that if you're an autopilot. Yeah, it's too late to go ahead and put on another 350 when you already made the plate. <laughs> you understand? Like there's some detriment again to autopilot. And God has been showing me, me in a way in this season that I am just so grateful for. I, I'm, I'm more grateful for the fact that God shows you yourself in layers, that he doesn't peel you back or at, in a way that is overwhelming, that you're like, bro, I cannot take all of this. Like it's literally to the point that it's like God is teaching you how to swim spiritually. And so he's starting you off in the kiddie pool, but not even with you submerged. He just wants you to be okay with being around the water, playing with the water, put your feet in the water kind of thing. And I think that the way that we view learning from God or learning ourselves or learning something new in life, we look at it like it's someone taking you over to the 10 feet part of the pool and they're like, well, good luck. And they, and they just dunk you in it. Like, no, we are not training to be a Navy SEAL. We are not training to do anything that's going to require for us to have to learn in that particular harsh environment or that harsh way. God does not teach us like that. Yet when God is teaching us something, the posture that we take resembles that. Oh, this, and we beat ourselves up in this condemnation and this guilt and these, all these other things when he's just wanting for you to be aware of something that needs to be changed so that we can go ahead and get the next level of what he has for us. And what God has been showing me in this season of my life is that I need to lay down certain things in this season that may have been true or established in other seasons, but I can't take it with me because it won't serve me in new seasons. Like he's letting me cautiously walk into things and he's like, okay, you're going to have to stop that though. I'm like, stop that. He's like, yeah, I understand that you had the childhood, that you had the fiend, you know, fend for yourself, but this is not the framework that I want you going into your new seasons. I don't want you taking old season armor and then going ahead and trying to fight new Goliaths with old armor. I don't want you doing that. I want you to actually start looking at yourself and making an assessment and looking at your inventory and asking God, what doesn't need to go with me? Because when you carry inventory into new seasons that don't belong, you're weighted down you're heavier and you have to be aware enough like David to say mm, to walk around in it and say you know what I'm not used to this so I don't think I can I can win like this because your confidence is literally connected to your level of freedom to your level of awareness to your level of you know what I won like this before so I can win like this again but when it's reversed when it's actually you are carrying armor that does not serve you, but you're used to it, you, it does not serve you, but you, you, you've grown attached to it, it does not serve you, but you don't know how to live life without that particular fill in the blank. Like God is wanting for you to live a life outside of the vein of what you're used to because it doesn't serve you. And what awareness does is it not only allows you to see, oh my goodness, I need to lay down this particular issue, but it should also make you trace back, where did I pick that up from? So that it's one thing to say, yo, don't ever do that again. And you're like, cool, 
to me, that's that's pruning. That's taking off something that doesn't fit in the seasons that you're going in and what God has for you. Cool. But the way that I operate, I want to know when that was planted. When was that planted so that I never plant that way again, so that I have discernment on when people are trying to replant that in my life in the future. I want to be so aware of that particular trait of that particular seed through and through that I know how to be a good steward over the garden that God placed for my life. Because sometimes it's not what you plant. It's what other people around you have planted. It's what other people before you have spoken into your life. It's what other people before you already ordained. Oh, this is what you're going to be doing for your life. And it's like, okay, time out. Most of the time you're struggling with things that you didn't even plant. Most of the time you're struggling with things that somebody didn't pray off of them. Most of the time you're struggling with something that you're like, you know what, if I had enough alone time with myself and with God, I would realize I didn't want, I don't want this in the first place. It was somebody's bright idea, but it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't my intent to follow out your bright idea. And so having these moments of revelation with God. He allows me to see myself in a way, but then he also does the most wonderful thing that he knows that works for me. He allows me to see it in another way because I'm practical and I'm visual. And so I need to see it. And so what he's allowed me to do is look at the life of Jacob and almost low key see myself. And I said, yo, I got to run to the phone and go ahead and, and, and show you this because Jacob's life makes so much sense. When you look at the full picture, but if you were looking at isolated moments, it wouldn't make sense to you. It's like, bro, I don't get it. What happened was, honestly, I read the part where Jacob was wrestling with the angel of God, right? And the angel was like, let me go. And he was like, I won't let you go till you bless me. And I actually spoke about that before. I was like, man, Jacob is about it. You know, he want to get blessed by the Lord. And, you know, I love that tenacity in him. And he was like, I'm going to, I'm not letting you go. And it, and he had to, he was so gangster. The angel was like, got to rename you, bro, because you're doing a lot. And in that moment, if you look at that in an isolated way, oh my goodness, Jacob looks like a warrior. He looks like he fights for what he wants. He, maybe that's why God made it where he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, yo, only a Jacob can, like that kind of behavior, you got to be a Jacob to be the God of Jacob. You understand? So I'm like, ooh, in and of itself, that wrestling with God thing looked glamorous, Almost like mind-blowing, almost like if I dare to say, kind of impressive. But when I zoomed out and look at his life in totality and not just the season of that particular moment, I was like, oh, I feel bad for Jacob. I feel bad for him. Because that fight with God, that isolated situation wasn't the only fight that Jacob was going through, the common denominator for Jacob's life was fight, struggle, and scheme. Fight, struggle, and scheme. Fight, struggle, and scheme. And I was like, ooh. And so when you look at that and you look, and you measure the weight of that, after a while, that fight with God was like, ooh. It started to take a different form for me. So I'm going to take you through exactly what God took me through because when you see somebody else's life, when you see somebody else's example, it allows you to see what God has been trying to show you about yourself for the longest time. That's between you and the Lord. 
Genesis 25, you know, I read in the NLT version, right? I'm going to go to the literally the inception of Jacob. So I'm going to read from verse 19. So Genesis 25, verse 19. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. 20. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethel at the Aramean from Pandar Aram and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. 21. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebecca became pregnant with twins. What's the operative word here? He pleaded with the Lord. Okay. Isaac pleaded because he wanted his wife to have babies. Cool. 22. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. 23. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. 24. And when that time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she indeed have twins. Because there was no OBGYN. Pause. 25. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. 26. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Pause. Isn't it amazing that Isaac is pleading with God for his wife to have children? And um, she hasn't entered the chat. She had no idea that you having conversations with God about her and her womb. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? So the fact that she had to literally go back to God in the following verse, but the two children struggled in her womb. So she went to the, she went to ask the Lord about it. She didn't go to her husband and say, this is weird. Something's happening. She went to God like, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? Yes, something is happening to you because somebody was praying for you and didn't even bring you in the chat. They didn't even bring make you aware of it. They didn't even make you aware that, listen, I know that you've gone your whole entire life without having kids, but I'm about to force God's hand on something. And sometimes what they don't understand is that when they're forcing God's hand on a matter, it's going to be forceful in your life. It's not going to appear in your life seamlessly. You begging for God to go ahead and make that man marry you. Um, ma'am, he is not husband material. You are begging for that particular promotion and, and position at your job. And what you don't realize is when you start working with those people in higher ups, you're going to wish that they de demote you immediately. Do not force God's hand on anything. Sometimes barren is a blessing. Hmm. Sometimes it not arriving yet is a blessing. Yeah, who wants to have the, the struggle pregnancy of a lifetime to the point that it's not only a struggle pregnancy that what you getting ready to birth, she knew before she even gave them names, your, your children are going to be rivals that I'm sorry. I don't want to have the baby shower because that's nothing to celebrate. You understand? But the fact that that's the seed spiritually that Isaac sowed, he pleaded with God. For her to be pregnant. Cool. So now she's getting ready to give birth to twins. And what happens upon birth? Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. So when he, when Isaac sold the seed of pleading, 
and gave and let Rebecca have that struggle pregnancy. Jacob now was a byproduct of now I need to go ahead and be a part of that. He was sown into that, so he was birthed into that. How are you birthed grabbing somebody else's heel? How are you birthed trying to slow somebody else down so that you can get the advantage? How are you birthed with that mindset already and you haven't even opened your eyes? You didn't even take your first breath yet. But the seed that Isaac sowed and what Rebecca had to go ahead and, and bear because he didn't want her to be barren anymore. Now has Jacob living a life before in his inception of struggle, fighting, scheming. I was like, okay. So now that makes sense. It started from birth. And then it didn't stop there. He went ahead and was fighting from that point on for his father's love. Cause the Bible says that Jacob was more of an introvert. So he stayed at home with his mother and Esau was more of an extrovert. So he was out there going ahead and killing game and cooking. And he was bringing home what his mother was cooking. So his father took a liking to him. And so after a while, kind of seeing like, okay, this is not going to go the way that I planned it to go. AKA that's what's going on in Jacob's mind. He then went ahead and schemed for his brother's birthright. And guess who helped him do that? His mother. Now, I don't know if she was comfortable doing that because she already got a word from the Lord that, yeah, your younger son is going to be, you know, ahead. Like your older son is going to serve the younger one. So I don't know if she was more inclined to do so because she already know, oh, okay, this, this was already told to me. So let me go ahead and help God's plan along. Hmm. Yeah, but in helping God's plan along, what you didn't realize, ma'am, is that you actually created sibling rivalry out the yin-yang for nations to come. So in, in in Genesis 27, it talks about the fact that Jacob actually stole Esau's blessing. So his mother helped him steal his brother's blessing by deceiving his father. So when you sow in that way, you think that the yield is going to be a fruitful blessing. Is that what you thought, sir? Okay. So then that wasn't enough there. So then now he has to go ahead and live this life because Esau is going to be, you know, kind of upset that you sold his birthright. So now he goes ahead to his uncle Laban's house and he takes a liking for Rachel. And he's like, bruh, I worked seven years for that thing. I'm talking about she's a brick. Boom, boom, owls. <laughs> he was like, I worked for seven years. Laban was like, cool. So at the end of the seven years, guess what happens? He gives him Leah, the other sister. The one that the, the Bible says she, she wasn't that cute. She didn't have no sparkle, okay? <laughs> it's a lot going on there. And so um, when he thought that he was laying down after seven years to get what he wanted all this time, which was Rachel, he actually got Leah. And it's like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted. Then Laban was like, I know, but but the way that it works, we can't put the first sister to shame. Like the younger sister can't marry first. And so Jacob wasn't willing to just accept that. It was like, yo, I'll work another seven years just so I can uh, confirm that I get Rachel. So he worked another seven years. But after a while, you know, it, it, you can't really live with family for too long, right? Read your Bible. Um, can't really live, live with family too long. So it was like, all right, it's time to go. But he couldn't go empty-handed. So it was like he had to tr- fight, scheme, 
and plot point his way to how do I get some of my uncle's, mm, some of Uncle Laban's cattle and his livestock and all of that because now he got all these kids between Leah, Rachel, and some of the maidservants that he's like, I, I need something to bring with me. I'm going to have to, like, we got we to gotta fend for ourselves now. Like, let's go ahead and figure this out. So he goes ahead and contorts this whole scheme on making some of the animals speckled, but he's putting paint on them, but they're actually the stronger livestock. And so Laban's like, oh, okay, you can take the speckled ones because usually that means that there was some type of defect. But no, what he doesn't know is that um, back at the lab, Jacob is taking paint. That's not even speckled defect from birth. That's paint. But Laban doesn't know. So then after a while, it's like, bruh, do you understand that you are adding on more people who are starting to feel some kind of way because you keep operating in this vein of fighting, scheming? And like, do you understand that it's getting kind of heavy now? And so now we have it that he's fighting at birth. He, he's fought his, his brother. He's fought his uncle Laban and he's been fighting for the, the livestock. Now we get to the point that he's not fighting with God. And this, I didn't read this the same. This was a different kind of like, wait a minute. I, I think I'm seeing something different here. Genesis 32. Want to read it again in the NLT version? I Once he heard, I'm going to give you some backdrop. Once he heard that Esau was looking for him with 400 men ready to lay hands on him with no prayer, he was like, oh, immediately got scared, right? So he was like, okay, um. It says in Genesis 32, 11, oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. So skip down to 13. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possession to present to his brother Esau. Listen to all of this in verse 14. 200 female goats. 20 male goats, 20, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. 16, he divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. Uh, okay, sir, you have a lot going on and it looks like you're rich. And from those standards in time, you have a lot going on, but then look what got my attention. 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jebuk River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. 24. This left Jacob all alone in a camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. 25. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. 26. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. 27. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob. 
the man told him. For now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. 29, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Okay, uh, I'm going to go on again. 30, Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. 31, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. 32, even today the people of Israel don't eat the tender tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Pause. Then he blessed Jacob there. Then he blessed Jacob there. Time out. 26. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Time out. But it just said in verse 22 that buddy has 11 sons. Jacob, you have two wives, two servant wives, 11 sons. You had all this cattle and all these other different things to the point that you were able to give your brother a portion and a portion of what you were going to give your brother was 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 eels, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Time out. I'm sorry. I went ahead and went over to the next verse in chapter um, 33 in Genesis. It says that when Esau ran up to meet and embrace him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then in verse 5, then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, who are all these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me. Your servant, Jacob replied. I'm so, so, so six, then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. Seven, next Leah with her children and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. Eight, and what, what were all these flocks and herds I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my Lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted and he did all these other things. But then I want to go back down to verse 19. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. So time out. You have 11 sons. You have two wives, two servant wives. You have all this cattle, all this livestock. You got, you got pieces of silver. You got pieces on pieces on pieces to the point that you just out here buying real estate and Airbnbs just as you go. You're like, hey, let's just, you know what? We on this side. We might as well go ahead and buy a little, a little timeshare. You see what I'm saying? But at this point, I'm asking myself, you fought the angel for what? I won't let you go till you bless me. Bless you with what? What do you need? What else is there that you're like, I'm lacking? Or have you been so entrenched with your common denominator being fight, struggle, and scheme, fight, struggle, and scheme that you can't even let go to realize I'm already blessed? I won't let you go to you bless me. Bless you with what? Bless you with what? 
And so I had to go back. I'm like, because God, you got to make this make sense to me. It actually says that the angel did bless him. So what did he bless him with? Because I don't understand that. And in Genesis 32, chapter two, um, verse 26, it says, then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. 27. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob 28, your name will no longer be Jacob for the man told him for now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and man and have won. 29, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? He's very rude. Pause. Uh, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob. Okay, what would you bless him with? I'm not reading that you gave him more silver. I'm not reading that you gave him more cattle. I'm not reading that you gave him more, more of anything that he already had. So what you bless him with? And then God was like, see, if you go on autopilot, you missed it. I said, okay, so what am I not seeing? He said, become more aware. What did he do for him? Not what did he give him? I said, he he touched his hip. He's like, right, took it out the socket. Uh-huh, what else? I said, he renamed him. He said, right, because Jacob was too heavy of a name for him. Jacob represented fighting, scheming, struggling, fighting, scheming, struggling, fighting, struggling, scheming. And the angel had to look down and say, this is weird because literally they were fighting. The man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. But he had to say that if you look at the verse before them, when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of his socket. Then the man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. So pain didn't even get Jacob's attention. Pain didn't even make him say, oh, okay, let me go ahead and recalibrate. Pain didn't do it. It's so Jacob is so calloused, so immune to fighting, scheming, and struggling that the pain of his hip being out of socket, no anesthesia, no Tylenol, no nothing. That didn't even get his attention. So the angel had to look like, bro, you are so out of the calibration that God wants you to be in. I got to, I got to, what is your name? So I believe that the blessing, when it says that then he was blessed there, is that the fact that he changed his name and changed his pace in life. Going to go ahead and touch your socket because you can't walk like this in life no more. I'm going to go ahead and change the very thing that literally is too heavy for you because they only named you Jacob after you touched your brother's heel. Maybe if they would have named you something different, it wouldn't have meant trickster. Maybe if they named you something different, it, it wouldn't have collaborated or it landed to the fact that your whole entire life as Jacob can be summed up in fighting, struggling, and scheming. That's too heavy for anyone. And now here you are for the first time in your life alone because Jacob didn't even share the womb alone. He had to share the womb. He had to share his household. He had to share his everything. So now here he is for the first time in his life. He's alone and he's struggling with God. 
to the point that he can override pain. He can override being, okay, I heard that crack, but that's still not enough to get my attention. He literally had to be spoken to to even, it seemed like y'all were struggling with no words. So the angel had to say, okay, let me go for dawn is breaking. And he was like, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. But Jacob, open your eyes. You're on autopilot. You're already blessed. You have sons. Several of them, sir. (laughs) Yeah, you have plenty. You almost got a dozen, okay? You got wives. You're rich in livestock. You out here buying Airbnb timeshares, just making my way downtown. Oh, that looks good. Let's go ahead and buy that for 100 pieces of silver. So you have money. You have everything to the point that when your brother's talking to you, he's like, um, after he's hugging you, he's like, who, who don't fuck behind you right there? Who's, who's that? Like, oh, uh, those are the people God blessed me with. Okay, and what's all of this? Like, it's like, I'm hearing moves and, 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 and I'm hearing all these sounds. Like, what's all that? Oh, that's a, that's a little bit of the, um, a little bit of my possessions that I wanted to give to you. To the point that Esau's like, what's all this? This is a lot. And even with you sending all of your possessions over to the other side, you couldn't see that because you've been immune to it. You've been on autopilot. You couldn't even get your own self to realize, man, God has done good by me. Man, I have done, I have lived a great life. Man, look at all those sons that I have. Man, look at all the cattle that I have. That even the portion I'm going to give my brother, I'm still going to have a lot. You weren't even able to see that. That's amazing to me. Because the Bible literally says in 23, After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob alone, all alone in the camp. Sir, you sent all that out and still wasn't able to see. You sent all that out and still wasn't able to see how blessed you are. Your brother had to say, I'm wow. And you were like, yeah, you know, a little something. Why? Because fighting struggling and scheming was his common denominator. And he was on autopilot with that since birth. So God had to ask me the parts of you that you struggle with, the parts of you that you even fight me for at times. Is it because it's been your common denominator for most of your life? And so you've been on autopilot, not realizing you don't have to operate in that vein anymore. You don't have to be the little girl who fends for herself. You don't have to be the defensive girl who, you know, because you're from New York, so you got to have a certain, like, you don't have to be any of that. All of that served its purpose, and yes, and you know what the part that really is traumatizing is that it served its purpose for your survival in prior seasons. Because had Jacob not schemed his uncle Laban for those cattle, would he have had all of this? If he had not schemed for his brother's birthright, would he have even been to the point that he would have ran to his uncle's house for Rachel and Leah in the first place? So the scheming served a purpose in prior seasons. But God is like, you don't have to carry that anymore. I want you to be more aware. I want you to slow down. I want you to bask in the fact that, wow, God, you've blessed me. 
Because the only thing that the angel blessed him with was forcing him to have a different pace in life. In order for him to have a different pace in life, he had to touch his hip and take it out the socket and rename him because maybe that name represents too much of a burden for you, Jacob. So I'm going to rename you Israel. But guess what? That name was only for you to hear because the Bible never even referenced or calls him by Israel ever again. God is the God of Abram, Jacob and Isaac. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We don't hear Israel. So maybe God needs needed to say that to you in that special moment so that you can be relinquished of all the weights of Jacob. He's still the God of Jacob, but maybe you need to hear that your name is Israel so that you can live a different life with a different pace to let go of your autopilot so that you can operate in the vein of awareness. What is God trying to show you about you? That he's like, you don't have to operate that way no more. I know that it was all on you at that moment, but you don't have to operate in that vein no more. I know that people disappointed you, but you can trust people now because you're not, you're not choosing them. You're discerning who I bring to you. It's different now. Open your eyes. Don't you see that you're blessed? Open your eyes. Don't you see that your prayers have been answered? Open your eyes. Don't you see, Jacob, that you don't need to be blessed? You already are. You already are blessed. I won't let you go to you. Bless me. But you already are. So the only thing that God can bless you with now is a different pace in life. The only thing that God can bless you with now is a different pace in life. The only thing that God can bless you with now is a different pace in life. Because if you keep going with the vein and the pace that you are operating in, you'll never enjoy it. You'll never get to the point that you realize, oh my gosh, I'm blessed. It would take an Esau to come in your life and go, wow, this is your house? Wow, you work there? Wow, that's your marriage? Wow, that's what you drive? Wow, that's your business? Wow, that's whatever? And if someone else doesn't come to you and bring it to your attention, if God doesn't change your pace, You'll just look at it like, oh, okay, it's just another Tuesday. He can't allow you to do that because then all of this will go in vain. And while he will be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob will be buried with the heaviness of fighting, scheming, and struggling. He doesn't want that for you. He didn't want that for Jacob. He doesn't want that for us. He doesn't want that for me. And so I was able to finally see, kill your common denominator so that God can let you just enjoy the fruits of your labor. You got to go ahead and change it. You got to go ahead and just say, God, what are you, what are you trying to show me? What, what, what do you, and most of all, when you get me by myself, am I even fighting you? You understand? There's something in that. What is God trying to show you that when you're occupied with all your blessings, you can't even see it that you, when you're driving in your blessing, you're living in your blessing, you cre- you actually have a vein that people are like, man, you are awesome. And you're like, yeah, you know, it's just like you downplay you. It takes a Esau to come alongside you. Like what's all this? Wow. This 
but you don't see it because the gauges that you're on don't allow for you to benefit from the fruits of your labor. The gauges that you are currently on are so scarred, are so callous because what happened to you before won't allow you to enjoy now. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that whatever served you in previous seasons won't submerge you in the new seasons that God has for you. I pray that whatever God has for you, that you take off the things that no longer fit, that he allows you to see your life different, that he allows you to see yourself different, that he allows you to see him different, that he allows you to see you arrive. You don't have to keep running. I know we live in a grind and hustle kind of culture, but you don't have to live that way. God doesn't want that for you. Slow down, Jacob. Start to live like Israel. Slow down. Slow down. Because rush never is enjoyable. Rush never savors the memories. Rush is never grateful. Slow down, Jacob. Maybe that's why he had to be renamed Israel. Mm. Holy Spirit, do what you do. Do what you do in our lives. Do what only you can do in our lives. There is something that you're trying to get through us, and I receive it in the name of Jesus. I want you to dig deep into the soul of us, deep into the pits of us, into our emotional chambers, whatever is needed. I pray that you do it, and you do it in a way that it will never be lost, that it will never be taken away, that there will never be a time that somebody else can come alongside us and remind us of the blessing that we live in daily. I pray that we are aware I rebuke and bind the spirit of autopilot that has come across this new generation. And I pray that we always live in a vein of gratitude and that we slow down enough to change the pace of life where we can finally look up and see that we no longer have to ask you for the blessing. We're living in it. Thank you, God, for awareness. Thank you for doing what only you can do. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name, through the blood of Jesus. Amen. All right. Listen, I feel like you got what you needed. Mm-hmm. You know what these conversations are. They are life-provoking conversations, conversations that not the average person is going to have with you, but who your favorite homegirl, okay? Created the number two, multiply.com for all the things. Created to multiply on YouTube. Created to multiply is just what we're going to go ahead and do. And um, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go ahead and let you let me go. Uh-huh. We talk later. Later. <laughs>